Hello, and thank you for listening to the Seattle Podcasters Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rigdon. This is the show that interviews Seattle area podcasters about their podcast, why they make it, how they make it, and podcasting in general. On this episode, we have Larry Swanson of the Content Strategy Insights Podcast. But first, I've got this quick message. If you're listening to this show, you are probably a fan of podcasting, and you'd probably appreciate local content. So I might have something interesting for you. I've made this list. It's a list of podcasts, of Seattle area podcasts. This list is intended to be a complete catalog of every podcast from the Seattle area. We have hundreds of podcasts on there right now. So if you're looking for more locally produced independent media, this list is for you. You can find the list at seattlepodcasters.com slash list. Like I said, there's hundreds of podcasts on this list and we even have categories. I've got categories for food and drink, civics and politics. We've got geek culture. We've got a section for D&D. There are just so many awesome shows on there. Please check it out. Once again, it's at seattlepodcasters.com slash list. And remember, this is supposed to be a complete list. So if you have a podcast or if you know someone who does have a podcast and they're not on the list, please contact me as soon as possible and I will add them. So one more time, to find hundreds of local podcasts, just go to seattlepodcasters.com slash list. And if you don't remember, there's going to be a link, of course, in the show notes. On this episode, I'm here with Larry Swanson of the Content Strategy Insights Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. So could you tell me a little bit about your podcast? Well, so Content Strategy Insights, well, the first thing is I just recently rebranded, and up until the last episode, it was known as Content Strategy Interviews. And um, when I first had, I launched the podcast in, I think, November of 17, so a little over a year ago. And a friend at the time, I was bouncing around ideas for the podcast, and he said, no, you shouldn't call it interviews, You you should call it insights. But I felt at the time like I didn't have any insights yet, so I just called it content strategy interviews. But after a year and 35 episodes, I was like, okay, I've had an insight or two. And also, more to the point, my uh, guests have been super insightful. So, um, um, yeah, so that's where – so it, anyhow, that's, that's the, the current state of the podcast. And what topics do you cover? Well, I talk. Well, that's so. Here's the the backstory on it. I um, kind of rebranded. I've been a digital publisher like since '95, since it kind of the start of the web. And I have become. I had grown tired of explaining to people what a publisher does, <laughs> and um, and so I was kind of rebranding professionally as a content strategist. And I. I I knew enough about the field to think and uh, that that was a good idea and that I actually was qualified for it. But I immediately discovered that there are a million different ways to look at content strategy. In fact, I still have yet to hear the same exact definition or kind of scope from any two people. Uh, and yet there are commonalities in it. That's what I've discovered over the years. So anyhow, so I got into the podcast uh, as a way to continue my professional development. Um, and just having been around a long time, I have access to some like, you know, old timers who've been doing this a while too. So people like Rand Fishkin and um, Eric Enga and um, a guy named Andrew Himes, who was like arguably the first content strategist in the world uh, at Microsoft, um, folks like that. So it's it started as this sort of professional exploration. And that's why I just called it interviews. I just wanted to talk to people, see what was going on. And it, I think I've earned the insights um, label at this point, having talked to, you know, 30, well, 36 people now. I've done an episode since the, I've uh, done two episodes this season now. 
Well, it's a subtle rebrand. You know, if you change the entire show title, it can be very confusing to your listeners. But you know, you even kept the same first letter, so that should be good. <laughs> I did. That's funny you say that because internally, I have um, I call it CSI <laughs> on all my file structures and internal names. And I said, well, yeah, okay, that that won't change. And and you're right. It was a pretty. Although I gotta say, if you ever rebrand your podcast, it's not simple. <laughs> it's like there's lots of uh, most of the syndication feed places will just pick up your changes. But there was a lot of work, a lot more, well, there was always is more work than you anticipate in a project like that. And that was indeed the case. Yeah, you always find like album art or descriptions that are old that you're like, how can I update this? Because it's on someone else's uh, like aggregator. Exactly. And that's one of the things I've learned. And I assume you have to just about podcasting is that um, patience is the watchword because a lot of these things are just kind of percolating through these syndication networks. And even though you've changed the art, like in the feed or wherever you can, it takes a while for them to catch up. And uh, I haven't completely double checked everything but i think everyone had caught up uh within like three or four days oh that's really great so how would you define content strategy well that's a great question i have to because people ask me all the time actually hang on i'm gonna i'm gonna cheat and go to my uh website and see what i've because i keep changing it it, it kind of depends on who i talk to most recently but here's what i have on my website I say that content strategy is a business practice that clarifies and focuses your publishing and other communication efforts so that your customers are delighted, your organization is authentically portrayed, and your business goals are achieved. And I don't think I'd get too much pushback from most people in the field about that. I think that's a reasonable definition. So is it different than content um, marketing? Well, yeah, that's so that's I've made a number of discoveries, you know, the last year and a half as I've explored this. And one of them is that, you know, there's a gazillion people who identify now as content strategists and probably, you know, 70 or 80 percent of the people who identify as content strategists are actually content marketing strategists, you know, doing, um, uh, you know, essentially doing publishing uh, and journalism really in service to business goals to kind of establish yourself as an authority and, and, and an expert and a trustworthy source of information about stuff. Um, so that's, and this would fit that, uh, you know, so, so basically my definition, I kind of like have, I'm just constantly tweaking it so that it meets like that's kind of the main that. And so most people, if you just talk to people at a cocktail party, they assume that it's a marketing thing, but, but content strategy is a super broad field. It encompasses everything from like enterprise wide content strategies, um, to, uh, you know, to manage all of the, you know, to, to, to break across silos in big organizations so that marketing and sales and uh, the customer service people and the IT guys are all talking on the same page. That's one of the big high level intensive content strategy. Um, But then there's also like, there's this new role that has showed up. It's really fun to see. And you can do this yourself. If you Google, um, go go looking for jobs in content strategy. If you go to the Facebook uh, job site, you'll find this position described as a content strategist. That is, you go ding, 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 you look at all the the tasks that are done. You go to the Google website, there's a role called UX writer, and you tick off the the responsibilities in the job description. It's identical to almost or virtually identical to what they're doing at Facebook. So there's, um, and that kind of gets to one of my intents in doing this is to like, I'm not ever going to be the authority that, you know, codifies how you talk about it. But I do like kind of pointing out to people that, 
um, it, it, it's, it's that everybody has their own ideas about it, but there's a lot of commonality that stitches it together. And then you do these interviews with people in the industry to try to get your insights. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the industry, as I've described it, <laughs> you know, it's cause I've gone, um, I'm just, so there's, like I said, UX is a huge application of it. And I'm a big, I've never really like been an official UX person, but I've been building websites for 23 years and, and I've built a lot of content management systems, done a lot of, of um, you know, information architecture and, and projects like that over the years. And I've increasingly over the last, you know, five, 10 years have really grown to appreciate both UX because of its kind of customer focus. It's all user-centered design these days. Um, but also kind of parallel to that, the way the startup world has evolved. I've done a lot of startup stuff over the years, really appreciated how, um, the, uh, how much better things are articulated or in that world by like folks like Eric Reese and folks like that. Um, so anyhow, so the scope of it is kind of, um, the, the, this, the people I've run into over the years. So a lot of UX people, I just, my first interview in season two is with the start the, the local Seattle startup uh, guru guy named John Seacrest, who, if you ever want to know anything about the startup world, he's just, he knows everybody. He's super generous. He's super accomplished, super connected, um, really good guy. So I've talked to everybody from like startup um, folks to UX folks to a lot of content marketing folks, a lot of enterprise folks, uh, agency people. Agencies are uh, uh, kind of where the a lot of the content marketing manifests, but it um, happens in a like an in-house content marketer versus an agency content marketer. Those are two, you know, very similar and uh, purposeful roles, but they they differ in their application. So um, I've, I feel like I'm I'm so I've kind of cast as wide a net as I can, and some of it's been opportunistic, just people I know, you know, from over the years. Like I just happen to know I have two friends who were among the very first people in the world to identify as content strategists uh, back in the late 90s. There was a role, and one of them I talked to, I was like, holy crap. There's like this sort of emerging um, vision of how content strategy is best manifested. And there was this outfit in San Francisco in 1997-98 called Studio Archetype that was doing like modern content strategy, like a content-first approach with like, uh, content people, designers and developers sitting side by side with the client throughout the project. Um, so anyhow, so I've, I've cast a wide net, talked to a lot of people, um, kind of trying to de describe the field in my, in my own way, but also branching out as I go. I, I always ask guests who else they would recommend to talk to or, or, uh, and, and then I learn a lot just from those conversations about like, Oh, that's a good rabbit hole to go down. And you said you were in season two. How long have you been doing this show? I uh, started it in November of 17, so right at the tail end of 17, and I, then I did it weekly for about six months, which was just crazy because I do a lot of other stuff, and publishing a podcast weekly was, uh, it was good because it got me in a good rhythm, and part of, part of my intent in doing it was to see if I could get into a rhythm, you know, a production rhythm. But after six months, I was like, man, I got bills to pay and, you know, and, and other things to do. And I was starting to get some insights myself about the field and was starting to think about how to apply what I'd been learning. Um, so I'm now, so I kind of like had the first six months every week, then kind of choppy through the latter half of 2018. And this year, 2019, I've set out a schedule. I've committed to myself to do two a month, like one every other week. Um, throughout the year. And I feel like that's going to be manageable, I hope. 
And so total, how many episodes have you released? So 30, I'll release the 36th episode uh, Monday. I um, recorded it earlier this week. Yeah. Let's see. And had you done any podcasts before this one? No, I had, uh, actually I had, I, um, I had prototyped a podcast for, I used to do a, I, my, the last startup I did, I was, uh, did a, a, a sort of a wellness website about act, the active office, you know, about standing desks and treadmill desks and sitting disease and how to keep your desk job from killing you. And, uh, as part of that, I did a lot of blogging. I did a lot of product reviews. I did a lot of other stuff and I did interviews. I did like four interviews for a podcast and I actually launched the podcast, but it was like, it was sort of prototypical. I didn't have, um, it, it didn't, it didn't, it was kind of like a, an experiment with the medium. It didn't really fit my overall content plan, which is probably now that I think about it in retrospect, I realized I was probably realizing, Holy crap, dude, you need a content strategist. Um, and <laughs> so, um, so anyhow, so yes, I had done a few episodes before that. And I got to say, when I go back and listen to some of those, I'm glad I worked out some of my issues uh, in those because I'm a much better interviewer now, I think. Yeah, most of us podcasters have like podcasts hidden in the closet that we would cringe if people found them and played them. <laughs> we should do, you know, okay, you just reminded me, another thing I do is I publish this weekly Seattle events list. And there's an event that's coming up tomorrow night called Salon of Shame, oh. where people get up on stage and read from their like teenage diaries and stuff. Oh, I think I heard about this. Yeah. And um, there could be a podcaster's shame thing where we go back and dig out our our worst episodes. Oh, that might be too much. I don't know if I'm strong enough for that. No, it kind of reminds me of like, um, well, I don't know what your filter rating is on this, but F Up Nights, you know, the um, the place, there's a, a talk series where startup founders talk about all the horrible mistakes they've made. And there could, there could be, we can have some fun with that in the podcasting world. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you have it. I'm not, I'm not going to execute the idea. I'm just going to throw it out there for some other podcaster to do so so what have been the biggest challenges of doing this show um well i kind of alluded to that earlier time has been a challenge and just you know a little bit of a learning curve like uh, like i listened to one of your earlier episodes and you were talking a lot about the technical stuff and all the there's all the um uh, distribution channel stuff that ensues so there's been a pretty good learning curve in um in that side of it just the the getting attuned to the ecosystem and learning all the tools and all the ways to do it. I did, I did a lot of research about like uh, what's the best place to host your podcast? Where should you syndicate it? What, how to do it? And for me, I also, even though I was only doing one a week, um, that was still, basically I, I really pared down my production, um, practices i i record everything in zoom uh mostly on zoom it's funny i have two ways that i do the podcast mostly i do it on zoom.us the website the web conferencing thing because i also in addition to just like the normal podcast channels i also have a youtube channel where i put like the um the video recordings uh, of us but some people there's been three or four i've done with folks in seattle where we just wanted to sit down in the same room and then i use the you know the physical the zoom recorder to record those and what i found is like those episodes take two or three times as long to produce because you, you, there's always like i don't know what it is it's like there's it seems like there's more like it's a more sensitive recorder or something there's more sort of like tidying up of files to do and things so i kind of prefer the zoom.us and well the other reason for that is that most of the interviews i do are with people outside of seattle so i wouldn't have the opportunity to sit down with them um 
so so I've kind of I've tried to streamline that production um, you know obligations as much as possible just so I can do you know, get my pan work done. Yeah, I don't think people realize how much work these interview shows really are. It seems easy on the outside because you're like, oh, you're just asking these questions. You you don't have to create anything. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and I do. When I do, it probably takes me, I figured it out, like when I'm in a groove, when I'm kind of rolling, it's about a day per episode because I probably spend, you know, depending on the guest, I'll spend anywhere from like 45 minutes to three or four hours preparing, you know, um, doing research to, um, uh, to figure out, you know, to guide the course of the conversation. But then once I'm in the conversation, I try to keep it very conversational. It's not like a Q and a, um, uh, you know, I, I have a list of ideas next to me, but I, I really try to keep, uh, have an organic conversation about it. Partly because that one, it's like, that would be even more preparation to have like a super detailed script to go by. But also I think it, it both plays to my natural conversational kind of style. And I think it just makes for a more interesting conversation. Yeah. It's tough to know kind of the, the balance. Cause you do hear some people who don't have a, like a bullet points of questions and then they kind of struggle and it kind of meanders. So it kind of depends on how quick I think you can think on your feet. Exactly. And that's something, um, well that, and this gets to one of the, in, my, my main intents with my podcast is I want my guests to look really good. And the way that sometimes manifests is that I'll be stumbling and struggling to try to phrase a question because I haven't created all the questions. So I there's a lot of me just like gibberish, you know, trying to figure out the question I want to ask, but I always try to do it in a way that makes the, 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 uh, the guests look better than me. Yeah, there's kind of that cringeworthy thing when I'm editing my shows and I'm like, I, I feel like I'm channeling Ron Swanson at certain points. I'm like, oh my gosh. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can totally relate. Yeah, and sometimes I'll edit that stuff out. But for the most part, I, um, you know, like I said, I try to keep it conversational. And I, like if there's a long, awkward pause or if we both have a, you know, just a brain fart, you know, and just need to reset, I've, I've edited out stuff like that. But like I said, for the most part, I try to keep it that you know, it, it just seems it's more like you're sitting there at the table with us talking. About I suppose it. I should correct. I meant Ron Burgundy. Ron Burgundy. <laughs> oh right, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. They have Will Ferrell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're just trying to like you know be conversational sometimes, and you just say things, and you're like, hear it later, and you're like, that was dopey. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I think I get a little bit better at that every time, but it's there's still uh, that's one of the things I enjoy about this is that there's always room to improve. You know, both in the the substance of what you're doing and, and how you do it. So what have been some of the biggest rewards? Are you doing this for your professional development to make more connections in the industry? Yeah, that's sort of the, that was the main intent setting out. Um, but I've, that, that's something I did. I took a, I took a break from like, I think my last episode, I took about a month, month and a half off at the holidays and sort of did some reflection and, uh, you know, planning for this year. And one of the things that occurred to me, I actually have a mission now. I didn't have my mission when I set out was to just like learn about the field and share what I, you know, like to share what I discovered with, with uh, other folks in the profession. Um, but I've, so there's that, that was the original intent. There was, you know, I mentioned like towards the end of last year, I started thinking about how I was going to apply all this. So I started talking to like uh, all my friends, like small business people and uh, my independent professional friends about um, about their needs, because those are like all my friends. Like if I went looking for a job, I'd probably end up at some place like, you know, Safeco Insurance or something like that, like a big place, because there's a lot of 
fun, interesting, um, like database kind of IA kind of stuff that can happen in big organizations that really appeals to me. But, but the fact of the matter is most of my friends and the people I've been serving a lot over the years are small to medium-sized businesses and independent professionals. So I started talking to them about their needs. And as I did, I realized, holy crap, everybody needs a content strategy. But there are very few people who have who can take like a year like I did to go to school because I, I haven't only been doing the podcast. I've been to a bunch of conferences and read every book I could find, um, had a lot of interviews that I couldn't get. Like I have friends at Facebook and places like that where the PR people won't let them talk to <laughs> on podcasts. So I had a lot of other input in there as well. So anyhow, as I was trying to figure out how to apply this stuff, it became really clear to me that there was always going to be way more demand for content strategy than there were content strategists to deliver that. And so that's, I had an insight out of that about doing sort of a DIY approach, like helping people execute content strategies on their own. So that's sort of what I did in the latter part of last year was um, I just kind of sat down and I thought, okay, with that insight, is it possible to articulate what, you know, the, 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 the things that you need to do to execute, to craft and implement a good content strategy, is it possible to articulate those as just a list of steps that any person with just a modicum of business and digital skill, you know, could educate, could, could implement on their own? And sure enough, I, I think I was able to do it. I, I call it DIY content strategy. And so, so those two ideas together, one, this ongoing need, and I'm, I'm not going to stop learning about the field, so I'll keep doing the, the podcast and my other explorations. But I want to serve those guys with like a DIY approach. Those things all kind of culminated in my new mission, which is to democratize content strategy, much in the same way that like, you know, WordPress, the blogging software. Um, Yeah. So Matt Mullenweg, his stated intent is to democratize publishing. And similarly, in the design world, uh, Don Norman, the uh, design of everything everyday things guy just like the biggest design guru out there his his late his latest mission is to democratize design and so i'm like well i i you know i I like having i don't i don't claim to be anything remotely like those guys but i admire their mission and um uh i'm gonna try to do what i can to democratize content strategy so that'll entail continuing to do the podcast continuing to learn about the field but also serving like the little guys who could never get a good, you know, uh, access to content strategy wherewithal, you know, without um, like a, a little help. So putting together little guides for them right now. And has the show helped you get any new clients? Um, not yet, because I haven't gone looking for clients. I'm, I'm looking strategically at a couple of, I would love to, you know, I'm at a point where I'm definitely ready to apply this new um, expertise. And um, I've got a, got several irons in the fire in terms of mostly for jobs, though. And a lot in the, I'm real active in the WordPress uh, open source community. And I love those, I love that world. So I've got a, there's a couple of interesting positions open in that world right now that I'm exploring. Um, and also locally, uh, there's um, there's a lot of like to be honest. If any recruiters are listening, <laughs> I'm not super interested in those kind of agency content strategy jobs because those are very tactical. Um, they're really about implementing somebody else's um, thing. And I'm not. I've decided I'm not really a content servant. I'm genuinely a content strategist. Um, but I am looking. There are a lot of opportunities in Seattle. Unfortunately, most of them are with um, like. There's no way I could work for Facebook. I just think they're evil. Um, you know, and there's a lot of jobs there. And, but, but that said, I have friends there who are fine, decent, wonderful human beings and doing good work 
to make it a more usable and uh, interesting place. Same thing, Amazon. I, I, yeah, I just, I can't see it's, it's, it doesn't fit. Well, part of that is that I've always been kind of in that small to medium sized business range. Like I've never worked at a company that had more than rarely have worked at a company with more than like a couple hundred employees. Um, and I like that part of the world. You feel more like you see the CEO in the hallway, you know, kind of stuff. Um, um, so anyhow, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working to apply this, but, um, I'm just getting rolling on that front. And you have run any ads or ask for donations on your show? I haven't, you know, that's something I, because I've felt like I can see doing that maybe later this year. Um, because to this point I haven't had that clear, I think this, 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 um, this clear mission to democratize content strategy that's already improved. I think the last two interviews I've done, and I think it helps people better understand what I'm up to. Cause there are a lot of people just like, what, you're just talking to people. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, there's some of that, but I have an intent underlying this. And I have finally articulated that intent. Yes. It gives you a better vision for even when advertisers do come to you, you'll know if they're a good fit or not. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's, and to be honest, and from a business perspective, you know, I'm a business and digital strategist as well. It's like, uh, to be honest, I don't have a huge audience at this point. And part of that has to do with the fragmented nature of how this manifests. So there's, um, it's like from a marketing perspective to reach everybody in the world who identifies like, as a content strategist, that's going to be super hard because they're, they're, they're in so many different silos and tunnels and niches and they're just tucked away in places. So, um, and so, and you, you have to have that audience first before you go out and sell it to an advertiser. Um, so there's that, there's also just sort of, a um, uh, you know, that, that, that desire to democratize content strategy, as soon as you start taking, like it, it, as soon as you start taking sponsor or advertiser money, there's some, you run some risk of, of diluting or, um, you know, changing your message a little bit. And I'm going to be super clear about that, that I'm going to be, you know, loyal first to my, my, the people I'm interviewing, you know, the, the, the sources first and the customers you know, right alongside of them. And then to any business entities that enter into it with me, I'll, I'll consider them after those folks. So now we go into like the more technical side of things. So where do you uh, host your podcast uh, episode files? Um, I go to, I use Libsyn, uh, which when I did the research, that was kind of like the safe old, you know, established place to do it. And I've been, I've been happy, you know, I've never, you know, I'm knocking on wood. I've never had any issues with them. They, um, uh, it's the interface. I don't know. You get used to it. like any, you know, dashboardy backend interface. You get used to it. And, um, um, I've, I've, I've been happy with them. They, and they, they seem to structure things in a way that all the syndication. So, so that's where I host it. And then I, I've, um, I'm only in, so I'm on, you know, the iTunes store, of course, Google play tune in radio. Um, and then I, Oh, that's the other thing I have to manually upload to, um, what do you call it? Um, SoundCloud. And, um, and then, and then I also do the YouTube channel and there's one other place I, uh, Oh, Stitcher and, and, um, and, uh, that might be all of them. I think five or six of the syndication networks and then YouTube, um, is where I syndicate to. And I don't, and I don't, it's, that's one of the things that's frustrating about podcasting is like, I'm kind of like into data and knowing where things are going, but it's hard to find yeah it's like you know, the, the the libsyn will continue downloads but you don't know who anyhow there's there's a whole um it, there's a well and every podcaster in the world knows those problems so 
yeah, yeah. It's it's a whole it's a whole crazy world with the podcast stats. I mean, we're kind of getting it together with certain aspects. I think is it the IAB standards, which will be good, and then I think NPR is trying to push those um, the rad to like measure how long people are listening. But who who knows? It'll be an interesting summer as far as podcast stats go. Yeah, exactly. And it sounds like you're more on top of that than I am, and I I may pick your brain about that. But but to this point, I've been yeah. I'm but I'm also more at this point. I'm just now to the point where I'm. I really want to push. Um, I just need to push and build that audience more, so that uh, so that all those things, so that I have more numbers to crunch, more opportunities to maybe approach a, a sponsor, all that, all that good stuff. And what microphone do you use? I use. I have this. I can't even tell you the brand name. I have. Well, like today we're on. I for, I left it at home. And I'm down at a co-working space today, so I'm using right now. I'm on just some little, you know, 1995 Amazon you know, earbuds. Um, and at home though, I have like one of those, um, at the time I, I apologize. I can't remember the brand name, but it was, it's just one of those, um, headsets with the mic attached, um, that, uh, that does, that seems to do fine. Um, that was another thing when I set out, I was like a lot of like, you know, you probably know Tina Knoll at large media. Oh, no, I, She's great. Yeah, she she's fantastic. And she took some time. I met her. I can't remember how I met her. But we she took we had coffee for like an hour and a half. She was telling me all this stuff. And she's like, and I have a lot of other friends like Oblong Pixel guys and a lot of media friends in town who are, who would just be appalled at how I produce the show because they've got all the fancy sure. I do have a sure mic that I use with my um, uh, Zoom recorder. And I need to get a second one though for my guess. Anyhow, long story there. Um, but basically I just have a super simple setup. And part of that has to do with the fact that I do most of them online. And I, I want to have, like, again, this goes back to making my guests look as better than me if possible. Many or most of them just have earbuds or like a cheap headset that they're using and we're doing it over Zoom. So I'm trying to, so part of me, I don't even want to upgrade my setup at this point. I want to keep it on the same level that they're at. So we sound, you know, it also just adds to post-production ease. You don't have to like level things out and stuff. It's, um, I, I try to keep it almost intentionally low tech to keep it down. So, so basically I'm just using the, and I, and I use the camera. So I use just the camera on my, uh, laptop and, uh, that either this, um, uh, you know, earbuds or the headset and, and zoom, that's about it. Just shows you don't need all that crazy expensive equipment. I, there's that gear syndrome that a lot of podcasters get where they keep on buying stuff and keep on adding to their tool chain or their, their production chain and becomes just wild. <laughs> it does. Although I got to say, I kind of admire and, and um, uh, envy <laughs> some of those guys. Like one of the interviews I did, um, I interviewed Todd Bishop of GeekWire and uh, they do podcasts there. And so how do we do that? I can't remember if we used his. I think I used... I think we used my equipment in his studio and I just felt like, you know, like the kid, like I was at the kid's table at Thanksgiving, just kind of this low grade, you know, junior member of the, of the clan. But, um, but they do like, they do professionally produce podcasts multiple times a week for a broad audience. So uh, different thing there. Um, but um, yeah, so far so good with the production value. I haven't had any complaints about that. And you use uh, zoom for your recording of these remote guests. Yeah, yeah, I re- and th- that's worked pretty well. It just saves it locally to my hard drive, and then and this is the other thing where my f- professional um, production friends just kind of cringe at what I do. I just use iMovie to produce it uh, on my Mac, and it seems I compared. I have Audacity, and I use that when I do, um, uh, you know, the the Zoom 
hardware recording uh, ones. But um, but I compared the, and I think I don't know what exactly like Libsyn does when it up when you upload files. But anyhow, I experimented with. Uh, you know, really optimizing things in Audacity, uh, like separating the soundtrack from the audio, the video, and then putting it back in. It didn't, it was not discernible, the difference between, and maybe that has to do with how lo-fi my original recordings are, but there was no really discernible difference uh, between like doing all the fancy stuff in, in Audacity. And, I, and I'm using Audacity, not one of the fancy pro things. Um, so, uh, but it's, you know, like I said, it's it's been fine. I haven't had any complaints and it's all intelligible and, um, yeah. And how long does that post-production take? Because you're doing video and audio or do you just strip the audio out of the video? Yeah, so my little, I have a little checklist I do, like a little, you know, production flow sheet. And I could, I could share that with you. Curious. It's, it's kind of, I don't have, do I have one handy? Yeah, I have, um, uh, Jen's episode here. Well, maybe I don't have it. No, sorry. Um, but basically what I do is I, uh, as soon as I finish, so here's, here's the basics of it. As soon as I finish the interview, um, it, it, Zoom does this little thing. It takes like, you know, five to 10 minutes, depending on the length of the episode, it creates local, uh, both audio and video files. So as soon as that's done, I upload the audio file to rev.com. That's what I use for my transcript. Um, so I get that in the works. Uh, so that's happened in parallel while I do everything else. Then I open the video file in iMovie, kind of tuck that in between my intro and outro uh, tidy up transitions, adjust levels, just using the iMovie, you know, the, the level and equalizing um, uh, tools in there. And um, and that probably takes, let's see, that's probably, you know, an hour and a half, I'm going to guess, total to do all that because there's a lot of waiting. Uh, once you've done that, then you have to export. Uh, I first export the video file. Then as soon as that's exported, I start to upload that to YouTube. Um, and that's happening while I, then while that's happening, I go back and do, um, the, uh, you know, kind of, I begin to prepare my, my webpage for it. Cause I have a webpage for each episode on my website and, um, uh, I'll go to start all the production on that. So total end to end from like the time, if I do it straight and I've done this a, a few, I've done this probably half the time is I'll try to like do most of the production um, between the end of the interview and the end of the day. And that's probably, you know, anywhere from three to five hours. Um, because there's a lot of writing in there as well. You, I'm writing like the descriptions and, and you have to write slightly different length descriptions for like everything from my description field and my Yoast SEO on my website to, to the different, um, uh, there's like uh, Libsyn asked for a couple different anyhow. So there's a lot of like kind of content tidying and I'm, and at the same time I'll be listening to that audio version and pulling out, I, I not only have the full transcript below, you know, at the end of the, each post, I'll have sort of a bullet point, like the main points we talk about in the episode. So, so if people just want to skim, they can take a quick look. And that all takes like four or five hours, I think. Okay. Yeah. Those checklists are very, very helpful. It's uh, I always recommend them. I try to recommend them to myself, but I oftentimes don't follow my own advice. Oh, oh I know. That's the worst thing. It's like, I feel like and there's many points at which I'm operating right now where I'm like a content strategist without a content strategy. And it's like, you know, it's like the cobbler's kids always got the worst shoes. So, yeah. So you do mostly interviews on your show, right? Do you do any just solo 
just you talking? I didn't. Well, here, yeah, that's funny you say that because uh, episode number 13, I had this like, you know, there's like unlucky 13. And what happened? So, how did that unfold? So, the first, I had two guests lined up and didn't really matter which order I did them in. And one of them called me like two days before we were going to record and he said, oh man, I'm coming down with something. I'm not going to be able to do it. And I said, oh, no worries. I'll just get Natasha. And so I'd lined up my friend Natasha. Um, and literally, you know, cause I kind of do like we did right before we started recording here, just a quick little, um, Hey, mic check. And here's what we're going to talk about before you get rolling. And literally as we're doing that, the school nurse calls and one of her kids is like throwing up all over the place or something. <laughs> so she had to bail. So anyhow, to answer your question, episode number 13, I entitled Triskaidekaphobia, which is the fear of the, the, the word that means the fear of the number 13. Cause I would just like, look, you guys, I've tried, I've had two guests lined up for this week. They both bailed because of illness. I'm just going to talk about the series to this point. So I have done one. I did that one. And I also did, and this kind of ties into the rebrand. I did uh, one of the other culminations of, um, of all this learning I've done, I ended up doing a number of, of talks at, at WordCamps. These are these uh, events for uh, WordPress enthusiasts. And I did talks at four WordCamps this fall. And in the process of developing those slide decks and just talking it out in front of people, I had come up with this sort of process model for content strategy. And so I did just sort of like an explainer video. Not super proud. It's not the best thing I could have done, but I, I just needed to kind of get it off my chest in video form. And I was like, great, I've rebranded to Content Strategy Insights. It fits the YouTube channel. Let's just dump it there. So, so those are the only two episodes. But very, all the everything else in, in my channels has been uh, interview format. Do you have any advice for people doing interviews? Um, prepare. That's, uh, in fact, one of, I think, episode 10 or 11. This was really nerve-wracking for me. I don't know if you know Warren Etheridge. He's a local guy. He's a, local, he's a um, playwright and filmmaker and film critic and, uh, and, and an interviewing expert. I've, he does this course. The name of it has evolved over the years, and I've done it five or six times. Um, but anyhow, Warren is sort of my interviewing guru. And um, uh, so a lot of what I've learned just comes right out of his classes. And the, the very first thing he talks about is being prepared. And so that's what I, both in terms of my general, you know, intent towards what I want out of the conversation, but also the specifics of each individual. Some of these people I know, I've known some of these people 20 years, and I'll just kind of take 10, 20 minutes to get up to speed on where they're at and exactly what they're doing these days. But a lot of the people I've talked to, I didn't know from Adam. And so I'll do three or four hours of research. Um, I mean, I know, actually, I know John Seacrest pretty well, but we had never talked about content strategy. So I did a lot of work um, on what he'd been doing there. Um, so I guess I, I um, so preparation would be my, my, my first advice, doing whatever you need to do to prepare. Like, obviously, for me, there was a different need for preparation for each one. The second big piece of advice, and this is a piece of advice I could have used at many points in my life, is just shut up and listen. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the two big ones I'd give. And do you have any advice for new podcasters? Um, well, that's a good question. Uh, people, t- I, you know, it's funny because I do apparently because I talk to people about this all the time. Uh, it seems like everybody's podcasting now. And what's interesting when I think of, I'm just thinking off the top of my head about those conversations, they're all different. 
Yeah, because some people will have like, they'll be like radio people, you know, and they're just like curious about the distribution channels and how, because they know all the, the, the craft way better than I do, but they just have questions about the tail end of the process. Or I'll have people who, you know, friends who know nothing and just kind of have an idea and they heard a podcast that they kind of think they'd like to do something like, you know, and I, and I basically, I'll talk to them like, I've done a lot of like startups and startup planning and business strategy and stuff. And I'll, I'll just kind of approach them as like, why, you know, that that's the, that's the underlying question that, that every content strategist needs to answer is like, why, why are you, you know, why are you in that Simon Sinek, you know, him, the, the, the Ted talk guy who talks about people don't buy what you do or how you do it. They buy it because you have your why you don't buy an apple because it's like a, you know, nice computer has a fast processor. You want to think different. You think different, just like Steve Jobs. So you buy an Apple, you know, so there's that, that why thing, I guess. So I help. So those kind of people who are just kind of like, Oh, it seems like a cool thing. I'd like to do it. I, I, I'll focus with them on the why, like, why, why would you want to do that? And then there's other people who just had like, you know, they're kind of in parallel universes. They have like an area of inquiry or expertise that they want to explore and are just curious how I'm operating. And I'll talk about like, much like we've been talking about, like, well, here's where I host it and here's how I prepare for interviews and that kind of stuff. So kind of very, so I don't have any, I have very little generic advice. You know, when I talk to people, it's more kind of specific to what folks are up to. And about how much time do you think you spend on promoting your episodes? More and more every time. And this comes out of my discoveries in content, you know, I'm almost embarrassed about my prior content, not embarrassed, but, but like one of the things I've really learned about content strategy now is that, um, there, the, the biggest problems we face in this world nowadays is an overload of information and content. So you, and this is part of the reason I think the content strategy is I think entering a real, um, not renaissance, but sort of an explosion of interest. Everybody understands, you know, like everybody understands that you need to be thoughtful and purposeful and have a real strong intent for any content that you do. Um, and I guess that's, I mean, anyhow, that's sort of like the underlying um, uh, foundation of everything I do now is like purpose and intent. And so when going back to what I was embarrassed about is just getting in this like got to crank it out, crank out the content, like, you know, doing a weekly podcast. And it's like, well, it kind of makes sense in a, in, in one way that you're just, for where I was at a year ago, it made sense because I was kind of fleshing out things and needed as much information as possible. Now I'm starting to narrow down, get focused, doing other things, doing it every other week makes more sense. Um, and um, yeah, so, so anyhow, that, that rhythm and, and, uh, stuff, but is sort of it depends on where you're at. But there's also this generic concern right now in the world that we have too much content. In fact, one of the guys I interviewed, this guy um, uh, Jerry McGovern, he's a super brilliant guy. I met him years ago, like ten or fifteen years ago, at a UX meetup where he was talking about um, uh, customer care words. Anyhow, he's moved on to the, his his current concern is. Um, task accomplishment or what is called top task management i think is how he labels it but basically his work he'll go in and work with and he only works with like fortune 50 fortune 100 just the biggest companies in the world and his work will often result in removing 90 percent of the content on a website and so i think and so there's this kind of I don't know, like an episodic podcast that makes sense, you know, to do it regularly. But in, but if you're in an area where people just want an answer to a question right now, 
maybe you do one five minute episode and just put it up there and that's what you do. <laughs> you know, th- those would be the two extremes. And have you found any channels that have been more effective than others at getting new listeners? You know, I think to the extent that people share my stuff, it's mostly my the blog posts on my site. And that might be because, not that I'm great at it, but I've done SEO for a long time. And the whole, the evolution of like the way I structure and um, the, the web posts and, and how I, when I go out in social media, I'm sharing the URL of my website, not any one of the feeds, you know, that's sort of like, and this goes back to that generic sort of business conventional wisdom nowadays that like, you don't ever want to entrust your content or your uh, business to another platform. Like I'm not just going to put this on YouTube and, or, or iTunes and call it good. Um, I want to have my own outpost. And so I've struck so I've intentionally structured like the way I share stuff and the what I, how I talk about it to revolve around my website. Um so in that sense uh and also and I think I haven't really looked I I, I don't have enough data to uh you know enough traffic and stuff to really make uh uh strong assumptions about this but my hunch is is that um, at least in terms of as, as interest in this grows that I'm going to be well positioned for SEO because I've got like the range of content and well-structured, well, I think well-structured, well enough structured content on my website, um, uh, to get to, to get people to find it. So I think, uh, the short answer to your question is I think that my website is the main, um, uh, that seems to be where I get the best traction. That's really good because like a lot of people question whether or not you need a website. And I'm a big advocate of everybody needs a website, no matter what you're doing. <laughs> but in podcasting, especially, you need a website that's kind of like a place to direct people. Yeah, and I'm using a like a self-hosted WordPress website. So if like the whole internet blew up, but there was still like a place for me to host and people looking at it, I'd have control of this. You know, if Libsyn went away tomorrow, I don't know how I'd get all those episodes. They're like, I don't know what I'd do. You know, and the same thing if I had only promoted it on Facebook, like poof, you know, what they, you know. Um, so th- that's sort of the the, the, the the core business intent is to keep it as, you know, it's um, as much about my, you know, the destination I've created is the main place where I want people to look at stuff. So do you keep up much with the podcasting industry news? You know, I try to. I really appreciate, um, and for your, I'm sure your listeners know this, but Jason, your new um, podcast meetup is like the coolest meetup in Seattle right now. And I and I go to a ton of meetups and a lot of events. And um, so that's the main way. And over and, and then those become ongoing relationships. And um, like, um, I think uh, uh, Rob Greenlee was, or has he, what's his last name? The, the I think speaker he, yeah, guy. I think he got it. Yeah, Greenlee, yeah, yeah. Greenlee was mm-hmm. at the last meetup. I met him at another podcasting meetup a few years ago, and I've been in touch with him. And um, so that's the main way I keep up with it is just networking. I don't, you know, when I was first setting out, I did a ton of research. You know, I read all that um What's that? The audacity to podcast guy. And there's, Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it was Daniel J. Lewis. Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's a, yeah, exactly. There's a number of, and I think that one really percolated the top as a good source. Um, but, um, you know, for the most part it's just talking to people these days and, um, and I do like when I see, I'm not, I don't have like any Google alerts set up and I don't, I don't even subscribe to that many newsletters about podcasting. So yeah, it's more, uh, mostly uh, just talking to people at meetups. Yeah. More organic kind of hearing what's kind of going out there and really kind of the talk of the podcasters. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And the other thing that's interesting is like hearing 
just in normal, general day-to-day conversation, like how many people listen to podcasts now and talk about them? It's like, wow, that's gratifying because I feel like we're all in a good place to, to give them stuff to listen to. And do you yourself listen to many podcasts? I do. I have, um, I listen to, I have a weird assortment. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts about SEO. I just, I'm like obsessed, not obsessed, but intrigued with SEO. I just listen to, there's this woman, Marie Haynes, who does a really good podcast about algorithm updates and other SEO stuff. And, and I listen to, there's another guy, Stefan Spencer, who's just like, if you want to know about SEO, he's one of the co-authors of that book with Ram Fishkin and, um, I can't remember who the other co-author was, uh, called The Art of SEO. Stefan is like one of those just scary, smart people, and he gets amazing guests, like, you know. Um, and um, and then I listen to, there's my, one of my favorites is, um, and there's a, here, I'll tell you a great story about this one. I discovered, I can't even remember how I discovered it, like a year or two ago, a podcast called The Cognitive Bias Podcast, where this guy is just going through, there's about 200 sort of known cognitive biases that, that human beings are just hardwired for. And he's just kind of going through one, not every week. It's it's not super regular, but he uh, just kind of explains it's it's maybe five to 15 minutes sec, uh, episodes. So it's very bite-sized. You do it while you're folding laundry or, you know, walking to the bus stop or something. And um, but the funny thing about that one is like about a year into listening to him, one of his episodes was about a conference he was talking at in Copenhagen. And I learned then that he's a content strategist. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? So I had, I immediately called him and just by coincidence, I discovered that a month or two before Confab, the big content strategy conference. And anyhow, so I interviewed him there and uh, that was, a, that was really fun. But, but so I, I really enjoy his podcast. It's uh, if you just want to get your head around how weird human beings are, it's a great, great way and then i listen to some of the general interest ones you know like um um uh shakra vidanchan's um um the um uh, the hidden brain i love that and um oh and nick hanauer our local do-gooder plutocrat you should get it we should get him roped into the meetup i don't know if he'd be game um but his new i forget the exact title but something about pitchfork economics uh really good podcast and he's getting like you know he's got access to you know the Davos people and stuff, you know, so he's got, that's, that's really good one. So I, so it's kind of, I'm not super focused in my podcast listening, but yeah, I've got several that I like. And so where do you discover new shows? Well, that's a good question. Like, um, you know, that's a really good question. I, I, I'm thinking about like a, a lot of it comes from friends, personal recommendations. Like that's how I heard about the cognitive bias podcast. Uh, topical interests. Like I'll just like, I subscribe of course to every content strategy podcast and every SEO podcast that's out there. So I'll just do searches in the, in my iTunes, the, the, um, my, uh, my iPhone app um, <clears throat> to find topical ones. Um, and actually when that, and now you've got me thinking, cause the other way I just have discovered uh, podcasts is I'll come across a person and wonder like what are the podcasts they've been on? So I'll just do a search by name and then listen to the episodes. Like I, that's a common thing in my uh, research for an episode is to hear, listen to people on on other sh- who've been on other shows and see what they talked about there. Both to like kind of have a feel for what they're about, but to not like reinvent the wheel. And um, so I guess those are the main ways. But I think the the top one is just friends talking about them. It's kind of a recurring answer on the show. It's word of mouth is so still so powerful. Interesting. Yeah. So as a listener, do you have any podcasting pet peeves? 
uh, do I have any podcasting pet peeves? You know, I'm part of, you know, that's interesting because I think there's a number of podcasts I've listened to for one or two episodes and kind of abandoned. <laughs> I won't name any names, but um, because they'll have um, either, it's hard to say what, it, but, but they just won't have a clear focus to or intent to what they're doing they'll maybe have like there's a couple again i won't name names but in the wordpress world that are just they're like they do them like every day or every week and some episodes you're just like they're just filling up the episode they don't have they didn't have a strong idea for that day um so yeah i guess and i don't like in terms of i'm very forgiving of production values um uh, there's a friend, Saskia, I forget her. Oh, effect, effect, efficiently effective. I think it's a, uh, another content strategy podcast. She doesn't do it super often and her production values are like mine or even a notch down. And I don't care. I just love the content she does and the guests she gets. So I'm, I, 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 I don't like, uh, but I, I sometimes wonder, like my first job out of high school, I worked in a car, I was a car stereo installer and worked in a stereo shop with all these audio files. And all of those guys and their kids would just be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you tolerate this crummy you know, <laughs> production stuff. And I'm like, sorry, I can hear their voice and I'm getting the ideas. So I'm good. Yeah. And so we're still in uh, January of 2019. Um, do you have any predictions for podcasting in the new year? Boy, I don't. I, I don't know enough about it to make any predictions. Uh, I have some hopes. I hope people keep listening to them and it keeps growing. It seems it's, it seems like a very vibrant um like you know, again, back to your your meetup. That's just that's like just a vibrant, exciting, interesting group of people, and I think it kind of reflects the way you know, like like again back to that word of mouth discovery of podcasts. People get worked up when something like remember when Serial came out, and people were like, "Whoa, this is great!" and um, and I think it's so. I I hope that it's sort of like the movie business or something or television, you know, that it's just around as a medium and that there will always be something for people to talk about and always opportunities for like little guys like me to still have a place to get the word out. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can we find your podcast? Uh, it's uh, my website is LS media. That's spelled E L L E S S media.com and um you just click on the there's a link at the top says podcast and that'll show you all the um uh there's 35 in the can like i said episode 36 will be up monday and um uh yeah that's the best way and if you if people want to follow me on twitter is probably my most visible uh social media presence i'm just larry swanson there i'll make sure i have all those links in the uh, show notes once again thank you so much for coming on Sweet. Thanks so much, Jason. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Larry, for coming to the show. If you want to know more about the Content Strategy Insights podcast, check the show notes. All links are going to be right down there. And thank you for listening to the Seattle Podcasters podcast. I hope to talk to you again soon. The Seattle Podcasters Podcast is a production of the Seattle Podcasters Guild. You can find more information about the Seattle Podcasters Guild or this podcast by visiting seattlepodcasters.com. This show has been hosted and produced by me, Jason Rigdon. Our theme song was Stringed Disco by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Thank you.